27. 27. Yeah. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone bought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not laboured, Others have laboured, and you have entered into their labours. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the words of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed in him because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. Great, Samuel. Thank you very much. Uh, And before we come together to to open this passage up, we're going to sing once again. Uh, We're going to sing, My Jesus, My Saviour, 1003. And we're also, so we're going to do this like we did earlier. We're going to sing that that he's my Saviour, because again, we need a personal relationship with Jesus and uh, an ongoing personal fellowship with him as well. So he's my comfort, he's my shelter. But uh, after we sing that, we're going to sing as a congregation that he's our Jesus um, and and do that congregationally as well. So uh, let's stand together as we sing number 1003, My Jesus, My Savior.
have a seat, please. And uh, we'll get sorted here real quick. Thank you, John. <laughs> perfect, perfect time in there. Just chat amongst yourselves. No, don't really. It's church. I'll, uh, I'll not do that. I'll just, uh, thanks anyway, but I'll just, I'll just press the buttons. Uh, all right, well, we're going to see if you're looking at uh, John's gospel this morning, John chapter 4, and uh, continuing the woman of Samaria. Uh, that's what we've been looking at for, uh, we, we did that a few weeks back then, we've been away and we've been sick, so John 4 and uh, verse 27 to verse 42, and we're looking at the idea of the broken being restored, the broken uh, being restored. Now, I, we were in uh, Tiger down in the shops called Tiger the other day, uh, about two weeks ago now, um, and in front of me, there was this woman from Northern Ireland, and I could hear her talking to her friend, and I'm like, I said, she's from Northern Ireland, which is like, you know, it's that moment, you know, when you just find someone who's one of your own people, it's an exciting moment. So I, I find her, and I'm listening, I'm about to go and talk to her, and instead of me going to say to her, are you from Northern Ireland, some other woman comes across the end of the shop and goes, are you from Northern Ireland? And she's like, yes, so am I. And I'm like watching, like, I can't believe this. And then I came over, I'm like, are you guys from Northern Ireland? They're like, what's going on? And uh, it was like this Northern Irish convention. Like we'd gather together in this shop to, to meet and celebrate our Northern Irishness. And everyone else in the shop from England was like, what are these pe- look at these weird leprechaun people just celebrating their togetherness. It was quite, quite a lovely experience. Uh, but there's nothing better uh, than meeting people that you belong to. Nothing better than that, than meeting people as you gather together, you celebrate one another and you celebrate that thing that, that brings you together, you know. Uh, if it is something like being from Northern Ireland or if it's uh, going to the stadium to watch your football team and there you are with your top on and everyone else is wearing it and you're all singing and, and celebrating the team. You've all come together for that reason. And, uh, and it's just a lovely experience, that, that thing that brings people together. Well, I want to bring you guys to some people who, uh, although they belonged, they were ostracized uh, from society. And uh, it's a couple of men, well, it's a few thousand men. But during World War II, uh, about 12,000 Irish men joined the British Army. Okay, so World War II, 12,000 Irish men uh, joined the British Army. 5,000 of those men switched Okay, so they were part of the Irish army who were neutral. So, okay, so this army, the Irish army, saw what the, sorry to mention Germany and stuff, but saw what the Germans were doing. We have a German in our midst this morning. And, uh, but, you know, it wasn't you, it was ages ago, you know. Well, it's ancient history. Uh, but, they, but they saw that the Germans were doing, and the, the, the country of Ireland said, you know what, we're not going to fight. Because we would kind of, we don't want to be in part of this war, and we also don't want to help the British, because, you know. The whole Irish-British thing is a bit of a problem sometimes. Uh, but 5,000 men in the Irish army said, we want to join Britain and we want to beat the Germans. Okay, And uh, so overall, 12,000 of these men came from Ireland to join the British army and fight. Now, this is a huge sacrifice because at that time, there's a lot of tension between Britain and Ireland. Before World War II began, there's loads of tension. Uh, the whole idea of home rule and who's in control of Ireland was a, was a bloody conflict for many generations. And uh, so at the time, the majority of Ireland didn't know about what was happening in Germany, didn't know the, the, the Holocaust or anything like that. And a lot of Ireland were hoping that the Germans would win, right? And get those Brits <laughs> so we can, we can have a country that's ours. That was the whole plan, okay? 
But 12,000 men joined. Now these men, these 12,000 men, were formally dismissed from the Irish army. Okay, So we, you're now dismissed. They were stripped of all pay and all rights to pension. And they were banned for seven years from any employment paid by the state or government funds. So when they came back to Ireland, the Irish government were saying, you can't find work here for seven years. And not only that, but they also sent letters around with people's pictures. Don't employ these men. Don't employ these men. So these men who were uh, heroes, uh, thousands of them gave their lives and thousands of them were injured. These men who were heroes came back and their country hated them. They were exiled and ostracized. And here's the quote. It says, you would think that after fighting Hitler's armies, the returning ex-servicemen would have got a hero's welcome home. But they didn't. Instead, they came back to a country that was scornful of them, ignorant of them, and indifferent about what they'd been through. In many cases, they faced open hostility. Their service in the British forces was seen by many as treacherous. The problem also, not only were they hated by the Irish, but because they were Irish, they were also not really appreciated by the British, right? That's something we deal with even today. Um, not really. But that was the problem. So they, so they would come to the British. But what was the last war the British had fought? It was in Ireland, the whole home rule situation. So these Irish men are coming over to fight amongst the British. And the British are like, we don't want anything to do uh, with you guys. So there they were, trying to do the right thing. Outcasts and exiles by both sides, and uh, for for for, gener- for like you know for decades later, some of these men are still sort of uh, not, not haven't got over this. They're still in deep pain and still feel like they don't belong because of the things that happened uh, in them going back. Well, the last time we were together and looking at John's Gospel, uh, we were looking at John's Gospel chapter four, and this woman uh, who'd been ostracized by her people. And Jesus came to speak with this woman. Uh, she'd, been, she'd been removed from them. She was exiled from them. They didn't want to be, have anything to do with her. And here's Jesus coming to speak with her instead. And we watched this woman move from shock that, that someone would speak to her to amazement that, that Jesus of Nazareth would come and, and share a conversation with her and offer her life. And then she moved to belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And we're picking up her story now as she runs back to town to tell everyone else. And I want to bring out some beautiful things in this passage to show you the beauty of Jesus and what he does with broken people. Okay, So if you're broken this morning, then this is a great message because this is what Jesus does to broken people. Uh, Broken by sin, broken by shame, broken by guilt, broken by your brokenness. This is what Jesus does uh, with broken people. And so the first thing we're going to see, or what we are going to see this morning, is that Jesus restores to her her dignity, her community, and her life. This is what Jesus gives her back. Okay, He gives her back her dignity, her community, uh, and her life. So the first one we're going to look at this morning is her dignity. He gave her back her dignity. Remember, culturally speaking... Religiously speaking, politically speaking, and socially speaking, Jesus should not have been speaking to this woman. She was a woman, she was a Samaritan woman, and she was a sexually sinful Samaritan woman. So she, he should have nothing to do with her. She was despised by others, and she was also despised by her own people. Even the other Samaritan women avoided her, which is why she's up at the well 
getting water on her own in the afternoon heat, which is not what they did back then. And yet Jesus comes to this woman, and what does he do? He treats her like she's a human. And he treats her with courtesy and with respect. That's what Jesus does. Jesus, the God of the universe, the one she's been sinning against, treats her with courtesy and with respect. Others saw the filth and the shame in her. And what did Jesus see? He saw that she was his creation. I created her. She's mine. And that's what Jesus uh, treats her like. He was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. And the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And yet he speaks to her. He was a man and she was a woman. And rabbis considered women a waste of time and a distraction. And yet he purposefully travels through Samaria to find her. He's the spotless, righteous God who knew the very depths of her heart and every part of her sordid past. And yet she's the first person in this gospel that Jesus comes to and says, I'm the Messiah. The first one he reveals himself to, like in a really explicit way. And this is my savior, brothers and sisters. This is who we worship this morning. This is my Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there is none like you. His deep desire is to restore broken humans and give them back the dignity that we lost in our rebellion. We lost our dignity in our sin. And what Jesus wants to do is give it back to us. He knows this woman's sin. He knows everything about her. He knows the sin of her life. He knows her uncleanness. He knows the rebellion. He knows every single time she chose to sin instead of choosing God. He knows all the reasons why he should stay away from her. He knows why he should stay away. And what does he do with all that information? He moves towards her instead. That's what he does. This woman... Walked up to that well, a broken, guilt-ridden, shame-filled, sexual sinner, and ran back down again, dignified. She walked up there, shamed, and she walked back. She ran back down with dignity. She ran back down, uh, having met the Messiah, knowing that she has worth and value because the Messiah has come to meet her and speak with her and reveal Himself to her. And I love uh, what she comes down shouting. Okay, if you, if you look here and, uh, in verse uh, 29, he says, Come see a man who to, told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come meet a man who told me everything that I had ever done. Now, this is a woman who was going in the, min, in the, mid, in the, in the summer heat, in the, in the afternoon heat, to avoid the shame, Right? She's going up there because she's feeling ashamed. She's going up there because she's embarrassed. She's going up there uh, on her own because she doesn't want people whispering. And, and when she meets Jesus, she comes back, running back down again. And she's saying, look, he knows everything about me. He knows everything about me now. And she's shouting about everything she's ever done. So she's hiding everything she's ever done. And now she's shouting, I know a man who, who saw everything that I've ever done. So, brothers and sisters, or friend who's here this morning, I, I don't know what sins have grabbed you, if you're a Christian or not. I don't know what sin has gotten you. And I don't know what shame you're not letting go of. I don't know what burden of guilt you're carrying up to the well this morning. But I do want you to know this. Jesus knows what it is. 
He knows what that is. Jesus is fully aware of it. He's even more aware than you are of how unclean you are. But none of it repels him. None of it repels him from you. His his great desire is to give you back your dignity. I just love that. I love that a woman who is full of shame and full of guilt and, and full of embarrassment is walking up there on her own, trying to hide her life from everybody, you know? Trying to, trying to not be whispered about, trying to not be looked at. And she runs back down into the city. He knows every sin I've ever committed. And he loves me anyway. That, that's her whole reaction. He knows all that I've done. And yet he speaks to me. And now that's who your Jesus is this morning. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows the sins you committed this morning. He knows the sins you committed last week. He knows the sins that none of us know about. He knows the sins that you're going to commit this week. He knows how unclean you are. But it doesn't repel him from you. He wants to restore your dignity. He wants to treat you like a human and give you back your worth and your value. And that's how this woman, she, she runs back down uh, knowing that that's what Jesus has done for her. So that's the first thing. He gave her back her dignity. And the second thing is he gave her back her community. And, and down in verse, as we just go down to verse 30 and down to verse 42. You know, Jesus, if you think about it, Jesus could have come into this area, the, the area of the Samaritans, and spoken to one of the religious leaders, couldn't he? Like, that's what he could have done. He could have got the religious leaders and, and spoke with them and revealed himself to them. He could have knocked on the door of the most respected person in the area. That's what he could have done. Knocked on the door of the, of the big guys, of the well-known people. Hey, I'm the Messiah. And, and shown it that way. He could have asked for the elites to come and meet him and hear what he had to say. But what does he do instead? He purposefully meets this woman. He purposely meets the cast out one and the exile. And notice what happens when she discovers who Jesus is. She runs into the town to tell them. And the response is beautiful. They begin to follow her out of the city. So now, not only is she not on her own anymore, but she's got this massive group of people coming with her to meet Jesus. So all of a sudden, she's part of this community of people who want to know more about the Messiah. She's no longer on her own. She's no longer isolated. She's no longer cast out and exiled. She's ran down into the city. She said, he knows all my sins. And they're like, let's follow her. And then they, and they follow her up to meet Jesus again. Verse 39 says that they believed her because of her testimony. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So they begin to believe that Jesus is the Messiah through this woman. Verse 42, uh, those who used to shun her and avoid her are now speaking to her. Okay, verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you said, because we also have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So they used to shun her, have nothing to do with this woman, and now they're coming to her and saying, we believe with you. We've heard him, and we believe that he's the Messiah and the Savior of the world as well. It says in verse 40 that he stayed there for another two days, okay? Now, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how long this woman was cast out for. How long was she despised by her own people? How long did she feel like an exile amongst them? But we can be sure of this. When Jesus left that place, just a few days afterwards, she was not 
like that anymore. She was one of them again. She was one of them again. She was no longer in exile, no longer despised and cast out, no longer filled with guilt and shame, no longer looked down upon and whispered about. She was one of them. She and all those who believed Jesus were now a part of his followers, taught to love and build each other up. And I guarantee that that afternoon she walked up there to get water on her own, that was the last time she ever did that. It's the last time she went up there in the afternoon in the, in the noon heat, burning with shame and burning with the heat. That's the last time she ever did it. Because I guarantee the next morning there was a few knocks on the door. You coming to get water? And all those women of that city are walking up together with her, talking about, wasn't it good to meet the Messiah? What's he going to do? When will we meet him again? And she's now one of them. She belongs to these people now. And why? Because of Jesus. Jesus has brought her in. Jesus made the difference. He gave her back her dignity and he gave her back her community. And this is what Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life as well. And this is why God began what we call the church. The church is not meant to be a building. The church is not meant to be a series of programs and ministries. The church is not a Sunday and a prayer meeting. The church is the gathering of the redeemed. The church is the gathering of the ones who've experienced his love. The ones who believe him. The community of believers in Jesus who are also called to belong to one another. And we're called to build each other up. To love each other. To serve each other. To pray for each other. To rejoice with each other. And to weep with one another. The local church is the gathering of the believers. And there's no exiles now doesn't matter how shameful your life has been or how sordid it's been, full of sin. If you've come to Jesus, you belong to this group of people. And we're all misfits. We're all exiles and cast out ones. We're all really weird. And we all belong to each other because of him. And, and there's no like, oh, they did that. Get them out. And we're called to treat each other the way Jesus treated this woman. Restoring to one another our love and, and, and helping one another and serving one another. You should be coming into this room on the gathering of God's people, joyful that you get to be here. Not, not, not to hear my sermons. I, we get to hear Alan. <laughs> like, joyful that you get to be here to celebrate Jesus together. Joyful that we get to sing these praises about him together. Joyful that this is the family of people who love one another and who are called to be those who build each other up. It's such a privilege. It's such a wonderful thing that we take advantage of so often. When you skip, when you're like, oh, I'm not come this week, and suddenly one week becomes two weeks, and two weeks become three weeks, and, and, and all of a sudden it's just, I'm just not, how much you forfeit by not? To not be part of that gathering of people who point each other to Jesus, and to not be one of those people who are pointing other people to Jesus too. That's why you're meant to be here. Again, this isn't spectator sport. This isn't, let's, stand, let's go here and watch Alan pontificate and go around the room for an hour. This is us gathering together to point one another to Christ. You're meant to be giving as we come. Giving to each other the, the loveliness of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, just like this woman would experience for the rest of her life now. Right? She went up there on her own. The next morning, she went up there with everyone else. And they loved her. And it was because of her that they all now believe Jesus. She's one of them again. And she'll never be lonely anymore in that area. And it's because of Jesus. So we give her back her dignity. He give her back her community. And then finally, 
he gives her back her life. He gives her back her life. Now, there, there are two things happening at once in this passage. Okay? Uh, we've, been, we've been looking at the woman and the rest of the Samaritans coming to understand who the Messiah is. Uh, he's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. But at the same time, there's this conversation happening between Jesus and his disciples as they also learn more about who the Messiah is. This is an opportunity for the disciples to learn who Jesus is because they're still trying to figure it out, right? They still don't have a, a clue what's going on here. Why is he, and they, when, when, when the woman walks away, he's like, what's he doing talking to her? What's all this about? And, uh, and they're confused by all of this. In verse uh, 27, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? No one said out loud. But the fact that John wrote that down is like, but we were all asking it in our heads. <laughs> what's he doing? Talking to this woman of Samaria. What is he looking for? Why is he doing this? You see, what Jesus is trying to show his disciples in this section is he's not just the Messiah to Israel, but to the Samaritans as well. And more accurately, verse 42, he's the savior of the world. The Samaritans got it better than the Jews got it. The Samaritans, like, as soon as they're, like, he's the, he's the savior of the world. And the Israelites are still there thinking, he's our Messiah. He's our savior. And, and like, they're on it. They're like, no, he's come to rescue us. And if he's come to rescue us, he must be coming to rescue everybody. And they, they figured it out. In verse 27 again, what is it? That you seek is what they're asking in their minds. Well, what is it? What is it Jesus is seeking? What has Jesus come to seek? The Bible tells us in other gospels, he's come to seek and see of the lost, isn't he? And she's one of the lost. And so she qualifies. Her sin qualifies her for Jesus coming to rescue her. In verse 31 to verse 38, we have this conversation between Jesus and the disciples about food. Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus says in verse 32, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Oh, here we go again. Another one of those conversations where, the, where Nicodemus and the woman of Samaria and now the disciples are talking on this level and Jesus is talking on the whole other level. And they're like, what's he, even, what's he talking about? Right? What do you mean you got to be born again? What do you mean you can give me water that lasts for? What do you mean you've had something to eat? Who gave him food? And they're confused. So what is the food? What is the food of Jesus? Verse 32. I have food to eat of which you do not know. What is the food? Well, the food is the work of the Father. In verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Well, what is the work of the Father? Right? That's the next question that we should be following. What is the work of the Father? Well, the work of the Father, according to this little section here, verse 35 to 38, is the harvest of souls for eternal life. Souls for eternity. Given life to those who have no life. Given life to the dead and to the dying. That's the work of the Father. And Jesus says here in verse 38, there are, you say, don't say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Because that was when the actual harvest would come. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. What's Jesus pointing to? Right? What's Jesus pointing to in that moment when he says, look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. What's he pointing to? He's pointing to this woman and all these Samaritans running out to meet him. And what he's saying to these Jewish men who think that he's a Jewish Messiah for the Jews is, that's who I've come for today. These Samaritans. 
these people that you think are unworthy of even entering into their country, those are the ones we're here for today. This is the harvest of souls for us today. He says here, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you've not labored. Others have labored and you've entered into their labors. This has got Old Testament stuff going on here about the people of Israel going into the land of Canaan that had been already prepared for them. And here's these people that have already been prepared for the disciples to bring in this harvest. Well, who's already done the preparation work? One sows and other weeks. Who's been sowing? Well, the prophets, right? The the people who, uh, Moses and the people who compiled Genesis to Deuteronomy, because that's what the Samaritans were reading. He's like, hey, we planted that seed a long time ago, and now it's time to reap. Now it's time to get back what we give uh, to these people. And Jesus himself had been sowing when he's talked to this woman. And now he sent his disciples, go get them, boys. Let's bring them in for eternal life. Let's bring them into uh, the, the message of salvation here. Before he came, this woman was enslaved to sin and on her way to condemnation. She thought that she could find contentment and safety and peace in men. That's what she thought. Five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. And she believed that sexual fulfillment or relationship fulfillment would be found in a human. And that's what she was thinking. And Jesus says, I've come to give you water so you'll never thirst again. So I don't know what you think. What you think is going to bring you ultimate fulfillment or ultimate satisfaction or ultimate security and peace. But whatever it is, if it's not Jesus, you're drinking from a fountain that's going to be gone soon. And you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to be thirsty again. But Jesus says to this woman, I'll give you water so that you'll never thirst again. So when she, before he comes, she's enslaved to sin, thinking that she can find it in stuff, and she's under condemnation. When he leaves, she's satisfied in him. She's satisfied in him. He gave her water so she'll never thirst again. And she's on her way to glory. This conversation between Jesus and his followers is not really a challenge for us to be busy with evangelism, although we should. That's not what this is. This is a recording of the categories of the disciples being absolutely smashed. You see, the Messiah isn't for the elite. He's for the broken, for the shamed, and for the guilty. In Christianity, we don't come here in the morning to celebrate how wonderful we are, right? Look how good I had it together this week, <laughs> right? I didn't. I, I am wonderful as a human being. And if you've come in here, if you're a visitor this morning, you think all these people are so amazing and I'm not, man, you should live with us for a few days. <laughs> We're not amazing people. We're broken. We're broken people. Maybe we know how to comb our hair or put a tie on or tie our shoes, but we're very broken people. And uh, Jesus did not come for the ones who have got their lives together. He came for the ones who don't have their lives together. He came for the broken, shamed, and guilty. Jesus didn't come for the purebred. He came for the despised and the rejected and the exiled. And he didn't come for the ones who are good and pure. He came for the sinful and the unclean. That's what he says to the, the Jews. He says to them, if you guys don't think you're sick, don't come. I came to heal the sick and the sick of sin, the sin-sick people. I came to heal them. If you think you've got water, don't come. I came to give water to the thirsty. 
And that's why Jesus came. He came for the broken ones. He came to the ones who are poor, the ones who are sinful, the ones who feel despised, the ones who feel ugly and guilty and shamed. That's who he came for, to give them back uh, what he can give them through, through the gospel. This harvest, says Jesus, is the large group of Samaritans walking towards this Jewish teacher to hear the words of life from him. The Jews are sitting there questioning, what sign can you show to demonstrate you're the Messiah? And the Samaritans are like, we believe. We believe he's the one. And that's who Jesus came for, the ones who believe uh, that he's the one. Come with all your guilt, with all your brokenness, with all your sin, with all your shame. That's why he came, to, to deal with that and, and to, to, to save you from that, to deliver you from that, to restore you uh, back again. So let me bring it all to a conclusion, uh, and then we're finished for this morning. First of all, I just want to help you understand, again, this is how Jesus treats you, right? He treats the woman of Samaria like this. He treats you like this as well. He gives these things to you. He gives you back your dignity. He gives you back your community. And he gives you back your life. That's what Jesus wants to do. And uh, if you've not come to him before, come to him and receive these things. The forgiveness of sins, uh, value being placed upon you because you're loved by God. Being part of a community of people who love him and through loving him will love you. And who are called to love one another. And maybe you've been running to sin and shame, will come to him and find life. But also if you're a believer, if you're a Christian. Hey, when you became a Christian, were you, have you just been perfect since then? Right? Life's just been a bed of roses since, since I became a Christian. Haven't sinned since. Not once. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> if I told you that, yeah, I haven't sinned since I've become a Christian, would any of you believe me? No, we're, we're still broken. But Jesus wants to continually give us back our dignity and our community and our life. He wants to keep giving us that, right? He doesn't give us water once. and like we're not, he can't, he, He's flooding us with these mercies. So Jesus treats us this way. Second of all, Jesus calls us to treat each other this way as well, right? We're called to treat each other this way. He created a community of followers of himself, and we're now called to love each other, to dignify and value each other, to speak with kindness and mercy to each other, to be a family of forgiven forgivers. A family of forgiven forgivers. So who are you holding a grudge against this morning? Who are you like, if only they would sort themselves out. If only they would be more like me, right? Who are you holding the grudge against? Who are you not forgiven? We're called to be a family of forgiven forgivers, showing mercy and grace to one another because we've been poured mercy and grace upon us, showing kindness to one another because we've been given kindness, valuing one another and dignifying one another because we've been given value and dignity by Jesus. Do you know what I'm basically saying this morning? I expect a hug from every one of you on the way out the door. Well, not really, like, you know, the COVID and stuff. But anyway, but we're meant to be, how do we love each other? How do I care for my brothers and sisters as they care for me to belong to your community? So Jesus treats us this way. Jesus calls us to treat each other this way. And third, Jesus calls us to treat the lost this way as well. The way he treats them. You know, it's horrible sometimes hearing Christians talk about people who are lost in sin. As if you never were. As if you're so wonderful and your life's perfectly together because of how wonderful you are. Not because of Jesus. It's terrible. 
that we would speak like that and pray like that sometimes. No, Jesus invites his disciples to the glad harvest of souls. He says that the reaper will rejoice as he reaps. Right? It's a glad harvest for eternal life. And we share this message of living water, this message of eternal life, and this message of salvation to the world around us, even the least likely and to the least lovely. Because when the least likely and the least lovely come to Jesus, man, that's the most beautiful thing. When the woman of Samaria comes to Jesus, that's glorious, isn't it? And so that's what we should be doing. We should be treating the lost the way Jesus treats the lost with value and dignity and worth, offering them this beautiful message. If you don't know how to do that, if you're thinking, Alan, you know, you keep, everyone keeps preaching that we should share the gospel. We should share the gospel. You should be doing that. And I, and I want to, but I don't know how. Well, shameless plug, that's what we're going to be doing at Equip in the next few weeks, is teaching how do we reach the lost? How do we share the gospel uh, with the world around us? So come along to Equip, and we're going to be looking just at that. So there we are, friends. I hope it's encouraged you. Jesus wants to give you back uh, your life, your community, uh, your dignity, your community, and your life. That's who my Savior is. That's who your Savior is. That's how you, who your Savior could be if you come to receive him as such uh, this morning. Amen. Uh, well, let's come together.